Welcome to today's episode of Imperfections, a focus on panic attacks and anxiety. Today I'd like to share a story about my own experience and interview a woman who has had anxiety and panic attacks. It is a condition that can be very debilitating to some people. Did you know in the United States, 11% of the population has a panic attack in any given year and that they're more common in females? It's understandable when you really think of all the issues that affect our lives. A political system that's divisive, a virus that seems to be out of control, an economy that is quickly in decline, and then when you combine that with your own personal issues, it's not often easy to stay calm and centered. The anxiety and attacks are an expression of overload. We can handle only so much, and your mind and body are screaming to get help. I've purposely tried to add a little humor to my story so that we can hopefully, for one small moment, make light of a difficult physical and emotional experience. I hope you enjoy. Have you ever had a panic attack? Wikipedia describes it as sudden periods of intense fear that may include palpitations, shaking, shortness of breath, and a feeling that something bad is going to happen. Believe me, if you've had one, you would remember it. There's the occasional anxiety. For example, you're in a very important one-on-one business meeting and all of a sudden in your mind's eye, you see yourself screaming and running out the door like a maniac. Just having that thought makes you start panicking because you're not sure you can trust yourself. Okay, so it sounds a little crazy. Well, I had an extreme panic attack about a year ago. It all started with a work meeting in Seattle where five members of our team landed at the airport at around the same time and decided to carpool in an Uber XL. While we were on I-5 driving at about 65 miles per hour, a large van sideswiped us. The Uber XL spun around and when it stopped, the radiator was spewing steam into the car. Unfortunately, I was tucked away in the third row back seat with no easy way to jump out of the vehicle. With an imagination such as mine, I saw us all burning up in flames. I was seriously trying to figure out my escape route, but to no avail. It wasn't until after me experiencing the Wikipedia's definition of a panic attack that the others decided it was best to exit the vehicle, me flailing behind. But the climax of my panic attack wasn't until later when we all decided to get checked out in the ER. It was rather comical in that five members from the team shows up at the ER. I mentioned that my neck hurt, so they did an x-ray. As I was waiting, I went to the bathroom. Just as I came out of the bathroom, a nurse comes running towards me with, yes, panic on her face. She grabs my arm and slowly escorts me back to the bed, stating I shouldn't move and urgently puts a neck brace on me. This was startling. I needed to have a CAT scan because they saw something. Hence, the second phase of my panic attack. I should mention I work in pharmaceutical cells and sell a drug for multiple myeloma, a blood cancer that deteriorates the bones and is incurable. Being in cells for a disease state such as hematology, where people are often diagnosed with cancer that is incurable, has its own concerns. And let's just say it doesn't help my anxiety. I was carefully lifted from the bed with neck brace on and rolled into the area for the CAT scan. Quietly, I notice I am quickly losing any common sense because my mind has jumped from rational to irrational, having a CAT scan in order to rule out any trauma to having an incurable disease such as multiple myeloma. 
I start sweating and fixating on mental statements such as, this is it, this is the end. I find I'm planning my funeral, my obituary, and wanting to cry because I will not get to see my children and their children live out their lives. It's hard to breathe and my mind is uncontrollably racing. After the scan, they carefully lift me up again, roll me back to the room where I must lay still and wait for the inevitable, horrible news of my demise. As I'm anxiously waiting, doing slow, steady breaths that my daughter had taught me back when I went through menopausal hot flashes, I see a gal that I work with, Sarah, one of the five, that had decided it was best to go to the ER to get checked out. I'm wondering, what the hell was I thinking in wanting to go to the ER? I hate hospitals. Sarah, the gal I work with, is a doctor, so immediately I've rationalized the medical staff at the hospital has asked her to come sit with me so that she can be a support when the ER doc comes to tell me the bad news that I have only a few months to live. My panic starts to heighten. The bed is wet from all the sweat. I'm breathing as though I would be giving birth to my daughter, and Sarah is asking me questions. Doesn't she know I can't even think at this point? I'm buried 10 feet underground, and they are singing Ave Maria, the song I've decided will be a redemption to my failing life. Finally, the ER doc comes in. I want to scream. Just give it to me, doc. But I can't seem to form the words. I don't even remember the English language. I'm almost grateful that at least the anticipation will be over once he gives me the horrible news and I can just give in to the inevitable that my life is ending. The doc slowly beats around the bush, making small talk, a sure sign this isn't going to be good news. He says to me, yes, we are getting older, aren't we? I notice your CAT scan has, okay, here it comes, degenerative disc disease. What? What the hell is that? And how did I get it? Apparently, my ER doc, close to my age, has it as well, and it's an aging thing. Happily, I accept the lesser diagnosis because at least I know there isn't a clear end in sight. And suddenly, I feel like crying. You know, the kind of tears from pure and simple joy. I will get to see my children and grandchildren live out more of their lives, perhaps their graduations or marriages, even if I am in a wheelchair for my degenerative disc disease. On the drive back to the hotel, panic attack under check, but hanging on to a little post-traumatic stress disorder, I think how precious life is, how grateful I am, and how wonderful it is to take a simple, easy breath. To those of you who are experiencing panic attacks and anxiety or know somebody that is, please know that we care about what you or they may be going through. I hope this discussion that we have with Tricia may bring awareness and compassion in understanding this mental and physical experience and that you may realize you are not alone. My guest today is Trisha, and Trisha has suffered from panic attacks and anxiety, and she has been kind enough to share her story with us. Welcome, Trisha. Thank you for coming today and speaking on my podcast. The first question I had for you is, when did you first experience a panic attack? Well, actually, it was quite a while ago. It was uh, 1996, I believe, December. 
I was at lunch with a girlfriend. Uh, just finished lunch. We're doing a little chatting before you part ways. And all of a sudden, my heart just started pounding so hard that I literally looked down at my chest to see if you could see it. I kind of took a few sips of water and it didn't go away. So I called my husband, told him. He said, call 911, which I did. And um, was hauled out of the restaurant on a stretcher. Um, on the way to the hospital, the EMT talked a couple about a couple of um, different heart conditions he could, thought it might be. And even when I got to the hospital, the attending physician asked a lot of questions about my heart. So obviously I was pretty scared that I was having a heart attack or something. Um, but after being there for quite a while, they sent me home um, with saying my heart there didn't. There was no sign there was anything wrong with my heart. However, um, I just kept having these these anxiety, um, nervousness, uh, lightheadedness, uh, racing heart. I couldn't. I begged my husband to take me back to the hospital two more times. Both the last time they said this is just a panic attack, and. Um, the next one I had, I just begged my husband not to go to work, and he said, well, I'll call in sick, but um, would you like to see somebody? So I started seeing a psychiatrist. Um, that was one step I took. I was seeing, then um, my brother worked for a doctor who was a homeopathic doctor. I went and saw him, which was actually a good thing because he explained um, to me exactly what generalized anxiety slash panic attacks were. And it was kind of like a textbook case. Things like your heart racing, um, a, uh, not being able to feel parts of your body, um, hyperventilating, um, just inability to function kind of. Generalized anxiety apparently is very debilitating to many people. The heart racing, he said, in some cases, some people were were so scared that they were having a heart attack and they couldn't control anything that they literally went out and started running, hoping they could just they would just die and get it over with, which wow. was not my case. I wasn't wanting to die and get it over with, but I was wanting to get it over with. Um, it must have been pretty stressful for you to have, you know, a series of these attacks occurring. Yeah, yes. And and not feeling like you had any sense of control over them. Yes. <laughs> um, probably why I was seeing three doctors at once. And, yeah. you know, and then I, my, my brother um, was teaching me some grounding exercises. Actually, that helped quite a bit as well. I did um, the psych, I did go on um, medication, mm -hmm. which was an antidepressant slash anti-anxiety drug. And, um, you know, when, when I had to go out, I carried my paper bag with me to breathe into when I started to hyperventilate, but I don't remember how long it took, but probably maybe only six weeks or so, eight weeks that I visited with a psychiatrist and, and finally got to the point where um, I felt that I was okay, that I could function. Was it hard for you to go out in public and do things with 
with fear of having panic attacks? I don't know what what the fear was, but I it, it was Christmas time and it was all I could do to make myself go shop or I never went I didn't go to any of the Christmas parties that were that year and apparently that is also very typical that you just um people just don't want to go out in public they 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 I think hide I don't know if I was hiding or what yeah it's kind of like maybe fear of having an attack in these situations and so because of that you just kind of isolate yourself which is kind of sad in a way you know that you're not able to live your life like you should or want to right for fear of something right yeah and that was certainly um the case with me yeah especially I mean I love the holiday season and I it was I had to force myself to to function within some some um, little part of it. Yeah, so for what you usually loved, you know, was the best time of the year for you, ended up becoming this time of year that you, fe- you know, you almost feared or something, or it was, you just couldn't get yourself to, I could, I, to, to, to join yeah. in. No? Nope. Yeah. Yeah. So that was many years ago that you, that you originally had a panic attack, anxiety. Do you still currently have panic attack and anxiety? Um, what? I'm not sure if it's full full blown, but I do have um, uh, moments of heart racing, lightheadedness, um, kind of fearfulness. Um, I, you know, they're, they're not often, but they do occur. And what do you do for those? Well, I um, occasionally still just do the exercises, to grounding exercises. If that doesn't work. I generally call my daughter and say, talk me off the ledge. (laughs) Um, I think part of that is um, just somebody talking to you, just... Somebody to help ground you, somebody that you know understands you, having somebody that you can go to that says, look, I'm dealing with this. Right, and then take me to someplace else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because you don't want to stay there. It's almost like you can get fixated on it and then it becomes worse. Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. Um, So your story is very interesting, and I'm sure a lot of people have had similar stories because, you know, as you said, there's kind of a list of things that kind of define what a panic attack slash anxiety looks like. Mm -hmm. Now that you feel like you've been able to get some sense of control over them, what would you like to share with the audience as far as what they might be able to do for those people that are currently suffering? Well, I would say, first of all, understand that it's no- normal and you're not dying. Um, but, it, of course, if you don't know what all the symptoms are, you wouldn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, see somebody. Um, you know, for me, like I said, I went to three doctors. Um, and But but see somebody. Um, I took medication. I'm not a person that likes to take medication, but do what best for you if it means take medication and I took it for as long as I needed to Um, then I decided I wanted to live without it Um, and and I have but um, so take medication see somebody whether it be your physician whether it be a um, psychologist or some sort of a therapist Um, do whatever works best for you but realize that it's normal and you can get through it good yeah and you're a perfect example of that. You've been able to get control over it. And you, now you have slight 
panic anxiety, but you seem to be able to handle it, and that's great. It's not debilitating. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much today, You're Patricia, welcome. for sharing your story. If you or somebody you know is having trouble functioning, the Mental Health Call Center at Multnomah County Mental Health is there to listen. You can seek help by calling the Mental Health Call Center at 503-988-4888. There's a team of mental health professionals prepared to help anyone experiencing mental health issues at any time in any language. It is free and it's 24-7 mental health support. Again, the number is 503-988-4888. Toll free, 800-716-9769. Hearing impaired, dial 711.